Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Hell or High Water, starring Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and Gil Bingham. Written by Taylor Sheridan and directed by David McKenzie. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to dock the train today. It's been touring all over the West. It made a stop in Japan. Uh, now we're back in mid, mid, mid Midland, Texas here uh, to wrap up our Western Four Ways cast. Matt, have you had a lot of fun with this one? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I, the Western Four Ways is a very cool way to, I think, take the themes that we've spoken spoken about with uh, Liberty Valance and kind of look at them through several different types of Western genres. Yeah. Uh, the one kind of Western genre that I don't think we really hit because we've covered plenty of science fiction would be traditional science fiction. Mm-hmm. Cause I would argue that is a Western just in space. Sure. Unfamiliar uh, foreign lands and um, strange new species you might run into contact with. So well, I, yeah. I can't believe I didn't bring this up when we were talking about Kurosawa because there's another samurai series uh, called Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah. And it's the Mandalorian. It's just, you know, guy going from town to town, getting into shenanigans, but protecting this child that's with him. Mm. So absolutely. Uh, you, you think this is a cast we could probably do again someday, oh, right? For sure. A lot of stuff we've left on the table. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about Hell or High Water from 2016, I do believe. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun to to talk about and break this one down. And specifically the writer, too. I think Taylor Sheridan, when you start rattling off all the stuff that he's behind, you're like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't know he did that. But also, they're all kind of Westerns in their own right yeah. from their own point of view. Yeah. And I thought, uh, very appropriate today for the pinhook. This is the bourbon heist uh, that we've been drinking for a while, but all about heist today. And I snagged this little soundbite from today's film because it sounded very appropriate for this section. Bartender! Whiskeys, if you please. <laughs> Love that. So cheers to you. Cheers to you. Excellent. Well, let's jump right in and get started with our flight question. Excellent. Great cast in this one. A small, small cast. Uh, we mainly have our four main principles that we that we followed through this thing, but kind of led at the head by Jeff Bridges. Uh, I'm, I was trying to think before you came over, like, what film was it that like made me think, I was like, that Jeff Bridges is like a really good actor. Uh, one of the finest of our generation, because, you know, I've seen him in, in so many different things. Uh, would you put him in that conversation? I would. Yeah. The filmography is a bit odd, though, because there's some hits and there's some real bad misses. Sure. Not by performance, but like, for example, R.A.P.D. Oh, God. Talk about a concept that's gold. And you screw it up. Men in Black and Hell, right? Right. <sighs> that movie's trash. Uh, I think he's kind of done a retired, too, I think, due to health reasons. I think he did have a cancer diagnosis a couple years ago, and he's kind of in and out of doing treatment for that. I think the last big film he did, I don't know if you ever saw it, was Bad Times at the El Royale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the last film credit that that he has but my flight to you is top three favorite uh jeff bridges roles we'll start with threes a movie that 
was frustrating to me the first time I saw it because I was too young, but upon revisiting has really become one of those, I don't want to say lost or unrecognized great movies because it's, it's won some Academy Awards and such, but it's in the Fabulous Baker Boys and mm. it's, it's, uh, it's a Jack Baker. You brought that one up a couple times uh, in the last few weeks. Kind of a road trip movie. Interesting love triangle between two brothers. Um, that's a concept that you and I have spoken a lot about, mm-hmm. the love triangle and an interesting way to do that. Michelle Pfeiffer and his actual brother, brother, Bo Bridges, playing his brother in this film. Interesting concept. Uh, a little light when I first saw it on how hot I wanted Pfeiffer to be. That's when mm-hmm. I was going through a Michelle Pfeiffer thing. And she's, she is, but um, I don't think she was featured the way I wanted. Sure. But he kills it in that film. Yeah. And starts to show off some of the musical ability that I think is going to serve him much well later on. Oh, yeah. Crazy Heart and some of those films. Also on my list, but we'll get to that. Okay, excellent. Uh, For mine, we're going to one of my all-time, my all-time favorite director. What am I saying? One one of, he's the favorite director of mine. Uh, A role that I thought maybe, yeah, was Kurt Russell doing something else for this role? He couldn't show up for this one. I'm talking about Starman from 1984, I Mm -hmm. believe. Scott Hayden and the titular Starman. Yeah. Kind of an interesting little alien film, him and Karen Allen and Charles Martin Smith. And as he becomes the visage of her dead husband, Yeah, but he's, he's an alien. So it's kind of like E.T. a little bit, but like a more adult version. It's probably the most poignant Carpenter ever got. Mm -hmm. Um, And Bridges was nominated for best actor for the role. So he's so weird. He's weird alien, but he brings a lot of pathos to that character and their relationship is, is very interesting. I'm not a Karen Allen fan, but they're pretty good together in that one. That's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Number two, number twos, Mr. Obadiah Stane from Iron Man. Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. Right. (laughs) I love it. Him villainous is an interesting way to go. And it gave me Mm. a couple other ideas that I didn't go with. Um, jagged edge and mm. um, a few other things. But in this movie, as much as that's a launching point for all things that Marvel became and sort of a rekindling of career for Robert Downey Jr., mm-hmm. you might argue it did the same for Jeff Bridges. Sure. Prior to Iron Man, he'd had a couple of misses and I wouldn't say had moved to B list because that's not fair at all. Mm-hmm. Certainly hadn't. But I think it shows for everybody that's a Jeff Bridges fan, or if you weren't, I think the range that this guy has from comedy to Western to straight science fiction villainy, mm-hmm. lover boy and Starman, Yeah. And that just speaks, I think being really talented. Good choice. Yeah. We spoke last week about maybe, um, Dustin Hoffman being underrated mm-hmm. or maybe at least on our show underrated. Yeah. I think Jeff Bridges, although maybe not quite the career that Dustin Hoffman has, Equally underrated. Sure. He's got a couple of wins, doesn't he? Doesn't he? I know he has at least... Who, Bridges? Yeah. I think Supporting Crazy, and I think crazy Hard is the only one. Is Been nominated one? a ton. Okay. Uh, True Grit, Last Picture Show, Starman. Um, Somebody won for Baker Boys. Was it Bo? Uh, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> it doesn't to me either. Academy anyway. Award winner, Bo Bridges. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Bo. My number two, we're going to 1976. My favorite iteration of this story, uh, and this cast just kills it. It's just a fun romp, and Jeff Bridges is part of it. Great beard in it, too, by the way. Mm. King Kong. 
Dino De Laurentiis' production, and him and Jessica Lange got, like, really good chemistry in that. It was her first role. They do. Uh, and then you have Charles Grodin in there. It's just, it's so 1970s, like, that cast. Mm-hmm. You got Rick Baker in the King Kong suit. It looks amazing. Um, and I like it's not, the Peter Jackson did circa 1930s with his King Kong, much like the Fay Ray version. And I like that this one just took place in the 70s. Yeah. As he ascends the World Trade Center at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, my fa- I don't know why I like that one so much, but Jeff Bridges is a big part of that. Good choice. Thank you. Is that your favorite King Kong iteration? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. I like the the original, and I even like the Peter Jackson one too, and I like Kong Skull Island. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's a series that I maybe don't give enough credit because I am pro-Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, but I think they're all fairly solid in their own regard. Yeah, yeah. good. Number one, mm-hmm. spoke about earlier, Bad Blake from Crazy Heart. I really like movies where the main actor is an addict and we get to see them go through what that entails from Lost Weekend to um, Planes and Trains or uh, Train Spotting. Planes and Trains. Planes, Trains, Automobiles. That's a different movie. Different kind of movie. Leaving Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, that's one of my four or five favorite performances of all time. Wow. And the fact that he sang it and played the instruments. That lends so much credence mm-hmm. when your actor can do that. And if you doubt that, go watch just about any sports movie mm. where the actor tries to be the athlete. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see how silly and absurd they look. Yeah. When you can actually pull it off and it's not lip synced or Peter hard. Frampton comes in on set to help you. I'll tell you that is. from, you know, playing a variety of different instruments throughout the years. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to just go to it and just start trying to play it. Yeah. Especially something like the guitar. Yeah. I gave up on that. I bet. So for him to commit to that and lend that authenticity to it, um, no, that just makes the film better. A little on the nose to pick the one that he won the Academy Award for, but also maybe just sometimes because it's painfully obvious. You might have to keep that in your back pocket because I've never seen it. You've never seen Crazy Heart? Never seen Crazy Heart, so. Oh my gosh, that might be the right watch along together. Okay. Oh, that film's amazing, man. We'll find a thing to put it in. Maybe this addiction cask we've talked about several times, so. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Good choice. Thanks. Uh, my number one, uh, 1997, 98, uh, his cult role is my favorite, probably my favorite Cohen. It's the big Lebowski. And I think it's just because of the character, right? He brings just such a weirdness to him, whether it's his white Russians or his jelly shoes or his sweater uh, this stoner vibe that he has that I don't associate Jeff Bridges with at all. I mean, this film, he's so the law man and he's prim and proper. Uh, he will pound down a, quite a few shiner box in this film, mm-hmm. but just his whole affect and attitude is so not who I associate Jeff Bridges with. Mm-hmm. Then pissing on his rug, uh, just the, the misunderstanding of that character and just the coup de gras for me always will be him getting st- Spoiler alert, Steve Buscemi's ashes blown into his face. Yeah, yeah. The fuck, Walter? It's a fucking travesty. What was all that shit about Vietnam? <laughs> uh, just a weird film, a victim of circumstance movie, if you will. It's just mistaken identity, but he's he's amazing in that. He's so funny. You said uh, drama, uh, sci-fi, comedy. Guys, He's a funny guy, too. Mm-hmm. So I think we kind of hit all the different aspects of Bridges' career with our six choices. Do you like his Rooster Cogburn? I do. I like that True Grit. I do, too. I think I like it a little bit more than the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the original's good, too. Yeah. Uh, good choices. Yeah. We, we had six different ones. That's crazy. No last picture show. 
It was in there. I thought about it. Um, I think the problem with that is I don't know if he's got enough teeth insofar as how much he's on screen to really be in the conversation of best Bridges performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few others. Have you ever seen Blown Away? Yep. With Tommy Lee Jones as the Irish terrorist? Yep. That movie's pretty wild. Uh, White Squall? Well, I considered The Vanishing, too. Mm. Oh, yeah. With Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah, that's a remake of the the French version. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Contender? Uh, mm-hmm. I think he was pretty good in that. Uh, just a couple more here, because after, yeah, Crazy Heart. Tron. I mean, I'm a Tron guy. I didn't even include include, uh, include that. Tron and Tron Legacy. Remember? Just his voice in the second one, though, right? He's not actually in it, or is he in it? No, he. They de-aged him. Remember? Uh-huh. Oh God, it was like, and it was like 2010 de-aging, so it doesn't look great. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned R.I.P.D. What a disaster. Uh, he was in that uh, second Kingsman movie, and then yeah, last <laughs> Bad Times at the El Royale. That was kind of it. So, yep. To him, so to him, to your, him. and your list. Yours. Uh, this is going to be a great discussion. Let's dive right into our review breakdown of Hell or High Water. Well, you're always dressed like me. This is our uniform. We ain't got no uniform. You can wear whatever color shirt you choose. You just keep choosing mine. Ranger Rex, say white, blue, or tan dress shirt. Stands the reason every once in a while we're going to be dressed the same. Uh, well, you know what they say about imitation, Alberto. You want to hear about these bank robberies, or you just sit there and let Alzheimer's run its course? Where they at? Texas Midlands. Branch in Archer City. And the branch in Olney. FBI want to assist. Midlands ain't got any branches outside Texas. Plus, they're just hitting the drawers for a few thousand. FBI don't want it. You may get to have some fun before they send you off to the rocking chair yet. So we start the film with uh, brothers Toby and Tanner Howard. This is Chris Pine and uh, Mr. Ben Foster with their... Would I imagine the first in a string of robberies to their inevitable goal? And it's kind of a mess, right? They're kind of not good at it. Uh, And it's, you know, we learn a lot about the differences between Pine and and Ben Foster. Uh, But just from these just kind of opening uh, robberies, there's two of them where they're trying to get into the drawers. The the manager's not here. He can't open them. And then this other guy is trying to deposit these coins he found under the ground and stuff. And it's just a mess. I mean, and... Everybody in Texas is packing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy just willing to go out and shoot the car. Yeah. But what do you kind of think of this just initial plan? I mean, if this is the end of the the day for them and their goal is to hit up these banks, ah, they might want to look into another line of profession, right? Yeah, they are pretty terrible at it. And you mm-hmm. can see with the first, I don't want to say failed attempt with the female bank teller, but the fact that they're there too early and then they have to set her on the ground and wait for her, her boss to show up. I would argue they're not great bank robbers. And I would also argue what the singular piece of hope that you can attach yourself to if you're on their side in this film, which I think you're going to have to be because who fucking likes bankers that are repossessing land Mm -hmm. is that I don't know if Jeff Bridges is a great detective either. Yeah. His sleuthing pretty much consists of let's just park ourselves out here in front of this bank, which actually never comes to fruition. Well, I don't even know if he's a really good guy to begin with. He's a very bigoted individual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some of that's pretty funny, actually. And I think that him and Alberto give it and take it in a friendly sort of way with each other. But yeah, (laughs) there's some things in there that are pretty crazy. Well, it reminds me a lot of uh, 
Hank Schrader and Gomez on Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, they kind of rib each other, whether based on race or this seems like hey, Mexican bean or this and that. Like, there's always that kind of play going around. So they get some play out of that, too. But it really does bother the the second guy. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get to them a little bit later. Let's yeah. stick with the brothers. They might be terrible bank robbers, but I think their plan is fairly ingenious. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into that now or a little bit later, but as the pieces start coming into the fold and we see why they're robbing the bank, they go back after these two jobs to their homestead. Uh, we find out this was the mom, their mom's house, and they still have her hospice bed all set up. Uh, we learned that Ben Foster did some time in the slammer, and we learned that, uh, you know, Chris Pine did a lot of the, the family heavy lifting during that time. Uh, they're burying all their vehicles from their robberies out in the back with the backhoe just to kind of hide the evidence so if they're looking for that car. But there's a bit of a cantankerous relationship between these two. Do you kind of do you, do you get that vibe that maybe Pine is a little bit bitter because Foster was in the in the slammer that he had to, you know, take care of mom all those years by himself. Well, going through a divorce and trying to raise a family on his own. I mean, there is some contention there. Add to it, Ben Foster is the kind of guy you don't want to be friends with. Is the, rela- it? the relationship with that guy is very, very expensive on the soul. He's He runs hot. He's quick-tempered. Isn't he that guy in every movie he's in? He, okay, well, let's get to that, right? Okay, yeah. Um, we've made a lot of jokes on this film or this podcast mm-hmm. about Mr. Claude Rains. Now, Claude Rains did get top billing here and there, or you could argue at least dual billing. Ben Foster is this guy always. Always, yeah. The sidekick. Mm-hmm. And he's really good at it. Mm-hmm. And he can he has range, whether it's a vampire or bank robber or action hero like the mechanic. He's good at it. Yeah. I just don't see a path forward for him. 310 to Yuma. I don't see yeah. a path forward oh, for God, him. He's so awful in that. Not acting-wise, just like that character just fucks shit up. Like this guy. You can see where Claude Rains might occasionally get top billing. Mm-hmm. Could you ever see Ben Foster? I don't know. And I think that leads to why this off-putting demeanor shows up on screen. Sure. Maybe there's a bit of frustration. I'm playing ethos and hypothesizing about his mental state here. That's pretty good. Maybe he's a little frustrated too. Look, he's made it. Everyone knows who that guy is, and he's got a nice film legacy. Yeah, that's a a nice career. Yeah, Yeah. he's got a good filmography, and there's a bunch of stuff we didn't even mention. Yeah. But to never get top billing and never going to get top billing, Mm -hmm. he's Angel in the X-Men. Oh, yeah, The Last Stand, yeah. Yeah. The, the, you wonder if it, it, it emanates through in the characters we see on screen a little bit. It could. Uh, I never thought of it until until then, but it was kind of just a tribute to him. He's like the wild card. He's like this powder keg of just badness that's just waiting to explode. I don't know if you ever saw this movie. This is kind of a deep cut. Uh, Bruce Willis, 2005, I believe, Hostage. Yep. Uh, and he's like this guy that's like, I think, is that, God, is that David Paymer in that thing? I think it might as well be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like go, they're trying to like, you know, steal some stuff from him. And like, he's like there with a few other people, but he's just like a bad egg. And I think that was the first time I saw him. And then I think I saw 310 to Yuma the next year. I was like, gosh, he's playing the same guy again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in the Punisher, the Thomas Jane Punisher. He had the, the piercings at that uh, mm-hmm. apartment building that uh, Punisher was shacked up at. 30 Days of Night. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, if I'm in, if I'm starring in all these movies, I'm like, this is a pretty good career, but you're right. There might be just like, I'm, he just doesn't have that top billing, like face to sell a movie with like, you can sell a Chris Pine movie, but it's hard to sell a Ben Foster movie. But the guy's a good actor too. I mean, he's really good in this movie. I think that's, what's frustrating. Mm -hmm. He just wasn't given. And if you look at him in the X-Men, I think that was the point in his career where he could have been star driving, beautiful face. Square jawed leading man. Bad character, bad movie. <laughs> yeah, and then it's a while before he shows up. I think that because that choice may not have been the greatest and arguably what's maybe the the worst X-Men film. I don't know. There's a couple bad ones in there, but a bad Dark, X-Men film. Dark Phoenix. Yeah, that one's bad. I don't want to say the ship sailed. He he forged what it was. Point being, he's really good at this character, and whether that's because he's really like this in real life and it's frustration, or he's just really typecast into this role, it works. The relationship, though, between Toby and Tanner, Tanner being Ben Foster, Toby being Chris Pine, Mm -hmm. is frayed for a lot of different reasons. There's financial stress, there's familial stress, and then there is a genuine lack of ability to communicate in much more than a quippy one-liner that Tanner can offer Toby. And that's where I think one of the interesting pieces of this movie comes in. I was thinking about this this morning when I was rolling around the house. Okay. If we're going to talk about Taylor Sheridan and where he's forged a path forward in Hollywood, which is via writing, mm-hmm. I think that this film would have more white on the page than just about anything else that he has written. And what I mean by that is, I think this tends to be a fairly introspective watch because there's enough quiet time on the screen with our characters Mm -hmm. in contemplation, which looks like nothing written on the page. Yeah, And that's different for him. Because if you see Yellowstone, Mm -hmm. that That, show is filled with dialogue. Dialogue heavy, yeah. Uh, well, much like, uh, so this is part of a, not like official, but like through like the fans and and moviegoers, like his new American frontier trilogy, Mm -hmm. this Sicario and wind river Mm -hmm. kind of showing what the landscape looks like in kind of a modern eye. So in those quiet times where they're just driving down the road, I think it's saying a lot about what the West looks like today versus what the Ford Western looks like. Man, dude, like Texas is just falling apart. All these towns, there's a great line. I have the the dialogue. It might be my favorite little bit of dialogue. Just it says so much is there's town, there's metropolis town, and then there's something in the middle there, and then there's ghost town. I mean, these towns that they're robbing are just so close to just not even functioning properly anymore. So even though there's probably a lot of white on the page, I think what they're showing is saying a lot of the modern day Western. That's an interesting way to put that. If you take the towns that in Yellowstone excluded, mm-hmm. but you take the towns like are featured in this, some West Texas middle of nowhere town. Mm-hmm. If the Western died when the West closed and that was through civilization, then what Sheridan is choosing to do in Wind River and specifically in this of the two, maybe not so much Sicario, but those the first and the third, <laughs> is a return to the savage because either A, the land was too savage to support true civilization, 
or B, the savage never quite left and it was only masked with a few banks and a few shops. But regardless, it's almost a closing of the non-frontier to reopen the frontier. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a genius in that because for a a genre that was dead, and if you want to do it in film, like through like John Wayne not wanting to go into the house at the end of the searches is everything that the West needs to know that you need about the West. If I go in there, I'm going to die because I'm now becoming civilized. But as much as that's a role for Ethan Edwards and the searchers, it's also a statement on the West. If we start going indoors, hanging out by the fire and having three squares, Mm -hmm. the West is dead. So I can't go in there for Sheridan to let the the civilized part of society die in order to return to the West is a really, I think, innovative and smart way to bring about that in a new modern era. Yeah. Well, and in this film specifically, it's the bank that's breaking that down, right? Yeah. It's the bank that's foreclosing on all these properties. They're creating ghost towns because they're milking land, right? I mean, they're just, they want the land rights. Uh, Which is weird because that makes them the villain. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the villain in Westerns a lot of times anyway, is sure. the person wants to come in and possess the land, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So do you think he lucked into that? Or do you think Sheridan was smart enough to see... Here's how I create the same villain in 2000 because we don't have cattle barons and um, train engineers. Like we, Exactly. I, it, it's the same villainy. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, whether he looked into it or not, I think it's fairly genius the, yeah. the way he paints uh, that as the villain, the financial villain. That's just eating away at these towns. So it's almost kind of the the Walmartification of rural America. Mm-hmm. A Walmart moves in and what does it do? It destroys the mom and pop shops right so that's the only game in town and then it devours everything in a very consumerist um yeah model well just even kind of that that scene a little bit later too when they go to that t-bone restaurant right i love it oh that's, that's one of the best scenes of the film i'll i'll play the little the little clip there but there, there's a lot of i think talks about consumerism here and people barely making by i mean we feature these heavy casino scenes in the film too and the Native American portion of this. I mean, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on here. And I like, I, I watched this twice actually, just to kind of get a better grasp of it. Uh, and I had seen it before too, but this Sheridan, Taylor Sheridan guy is really, and I think Sicario was the first one I saw. Was, there was Denny Villeneuve. So this is all your fault, Matt. So th- this is, you, Prisoners came out. You're like, Jesse, you got to go see Prisoners. It's an amazing movie. So I saw it later. Oh, my God, what a masterpiece. Go listen to the Prisoners episode, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. What's this Denny Villeneuve guy? His next film was Sicario. I got to go see it because I got to see if he can strike it twice. He did. That movie's great. Yeah. It's written by this guy, Taylor Sheridan. So then he did this. Then he did Hell or High Water. Then he wrote the sequel to Sicario called Day of the Soldado, which I thought wasn't going to be good. The movie's pretty good, too. Uh, and then Wind River. And then he creates this television show, Yellowstone. And then he did another one, too. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I probably should to complete this. Uh, the Angelina Jolie, Leave Me for Dead, or mm-hmm. it's the Forest Fire uh, Hitman movie, I think. Uh, that's him, too. So I've been following it, and there's a lot of really great themes. I mean, Wind River is another one I think worth talking about one of these days, yeah. too. Yep. I'm just impressed. I think that's that's just what I'm getting at here. I'll give him credit, too. He's specking or trying to create what is a burgeoning career now to an exploding career, a list writer. 
in a genre that I don't think a whole lot of people wanted to touch. No, I think I think you found a creative in, right? I mean, did you look? Was this script spec or was this adapted? Mm-hmm. Spec in twenty twelve. Wow, took four years to to get made. So even more impressive. Um, I think he said, "Go." Oh, maybe he. I don't know a lot about him. I think maybe he really likes westerns. If he's spending such a time in this frontier space, I can tell you this from what I've seen of him as an actor in Yellowstone mm-hmm. and he's in it pretty heavily in this last season. He's in this movie too. Yeah. Yeah. Briefly. Yeah. He knows how to ride a horse and, and sling a rope. I don't think he's totally faking. So I think he likes it. Let's just, certainly, let's yeah. say that. That's um, true. But so if he came to the table and was like, no one's going to make that Ford Western anymore. Mm-hmm. I think the last true good one I saw was probably 310 to Yuma. Yeah. No six or Oh seven. But if I, modernize it if i twist it on its head and i just bring those themes and those ideals to 2016 2015 then maybe i can play with something and he's in a space that's very popular too because i would argue something as popular as breaking bad is a modern western Mm -hmm. so i think people just don't realize they're watching westerns today right right (laughs) yeah and these shows are just hugely popular yellowstone's hugely ozark's a western man Mm -hmm. so it's just We've done it. We're doing it differently. And I'm, I'm here for it. Me too, to that. <laughs> to that, yeah. Because we both like that genre. You got any idea how much I owe Debbie and child support? You got enough in your front pocket to fix that problem right now. You can't spare it. You know that. Maybe we should hit another branch. You know, you talk like we ain't going to get away with this. I never met nobody got away with anything, ever. You. And why in the hell did you agree to do it? Because you asked, little brother. I got shit like an old goat. These guys talk like brothers too, don't they? They do. Uh, they got a real nice dialogue back and forth here. We learn a lot about Pine's character here. He owes alimony, child support payments for this marriage that didn't work out. But I think he truly cares about this family dynamic as well. If he spent so much time caring over mom at her house and then is concocting, I think we'll call him the mastermind of this heist, this plan to save her land for what it truly offers, which is wealth, uh, I think he really cares about the family dynamic to the point where he's just going to leave all this to his sons anyway, and he's just going to wither out into the sunset. Yeah. Not a good future for him, but I don't think that matters to him. I think Chris Pine's a pretty good guy in this movie I, with I the dark side. Agreed. Yeah. Pushed to impossible odds. He's made some tough decisions, but they are rooted in good. Yeah. Anti-hero. And isn't that to a certain extent what the Cowboys always been? Oh yeah. The mm-hmm. difference would be the cowboy will shoot you. The bad cowboy will shoot you in the back. So there's a code or some chivalry that you still have to adhere to, to not chivalry. go quite that far. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Western chivalry. Yep. And I think we get that moment when we see him talking to his son. Yeah. And another obviously frayed relationship. So the fam, the familial ties for Toby in this are trashed. Yeah. We don't exactly know why. I think it has something to do with his mother. And now that she's gone, maybe so much was put into what he needed to do in order to try to make that right with her and keep her alive and and what the expense was for the medical bills and such. Mm -hmm. But I don't think his ex-wife really cares for him. 
I don't think the son that we see him talk to cares much for him. No. His brother does care for him. However, that's about as toxic a caring as there can possibly be, being loved by a rattlesnake. Yeah. He really is, and also very traditional Western form, an isolated or lonely figure, oh, yeah. like the cowboy. Yep. He's good in this movie, too. Uh, reaffirmed my position as favorite Chris more than Evans, no. Pratt, Hemsworth, O'Donnell. <laughs> really? Hemsworth? Or yeah, Pratt? I you think, put him ahead, huh? I think Pine's my favorite, man. His turn as Kirk in the Star Trek films, this, the stuff he's done with comedy, some, some comedy films he's done. You know, speaking of him. Trevor Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see Z for Zachariah? Mm-mm. Margot Robbie is in that, mm. and uh, Cheatwell Akifor. Is that? I'm, I think I'm murdering that guy's last name. Oh, Ejiofor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You might want to check that out. Dude. Okay. That's an interesting. I'd heard a lot of buzz about that, and it got no play in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, check it out. Yeah. Depine to me just seems like the kind of guy that could have like really hit it big just based on his looks, his talent. Um, but uh, there's no begrudging this career either, too. This is pretty good filmography as well. Right. So I don't, I, don't, I don't know if these people want more or if they're just happy doing what they're doing. Maybe they just like acting. We've had that conversation before. Maybe they just like acting. They could, yeah. Uh, but he does, we see that chivalry, too, here in this diner scene where he gives this waitress, uh, this pregnant waitress, and then she has uh, the child at home this mortgage and she's working this shit job leaves her a $200 tip that gets seized by the man. Right. Yep. <laughs> Brutal. Um, but I, it shows the good nature of him. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has this money that can go to his causes, but when he hears this, he's just like, you know what? Why not? Mm-hmm. That's the difference between him and his brother. While he's doing it, his brother's robbing another bank, right? He doesn't have enough. Mm-hmm. The brother Ben Foster's end goal in this is, it's like he knows he's going to jail no matter what, right? Even at the end in the final gunfighting stand, I think he knows he's going down, so may as well make the most of it. <laughs> I guess so, last stand. Sure, there you go. Yeah, Tanner is uh, on a death wish from the word go just because he's so reckless. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what happened in prison, and I'm not really even sure why he went away. Usually that has an element of doing one thing or two, one of two things to our characters in film, either bringing them out born again hard or either bringing them out super docile and totally emasculated if it's male. Mm-hmm. This has been born again hard doubling down on everything that got me sent away. And when the born again hard is doubled down the way it is with Tanner, yeah. it comes out as very, very reckless. So confrontational. At everything. Yeah, it's just it makes me cringe. It's just like, gosh, these scenarios are just like making my skin crawl. Even to the point when they go to the casino and he rolls on the gal that's checking them in mm-hmm. in a confrontational way, it gets him he beds her. Yeah. Yeah, he is in your ass all the time in this film. And begs her with his brother in the other bed. Oh man. Again, confrontational. Mm-hmm. Oh, even with the the Native American guy at the poker table he's comanche makes me a comanche oh gosh that scene makes me so nervous it's like you you go in there now you're just pushing it let's talk about that for a minute because something really struck me this time through okay when they go to that casino Mm -hmm. and chris pine just wants to go watch the aggies play and i love that he's going watching i'm assuming the texas a&m aggies while jeff bridges character is watching the texas longhorns speaks volumes about those rivalry for sure (laughs) right 
he snags, let's say, $300 from the chips that they are using the casino to launder the oh, bank yeah. money from. Can we just say this? I don't know if it, uh, stuff like this, Breaking Bad, and all these things that, that are so well written yeah. are making like criminals smarter and better in the real world because this is a genius way to launder money. It sure is. <laughs> just turn it over in chips and then write a check to the bank? What? Brilliant. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Did you notice, though, when Ben Foster sits down, what he sits down with and what he walks away with? Mm. In that in the poker game, go ahead, brother. He kicks ass. Yeah, he wipes them out. Has more. He, I mean, he walks down short stacked. I'm going to say two hundred dollars. Okay. And by the time he finishes, he has two full trays to walk away with. This is really an important moment for me in the film. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's getting ahead. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is some good luck that has come. What would seem to be complete lack of luck, guy's way. And even with all of those winnings, he almost gets into a fist fight with the guy that is far his superior at the table over some kind of racial slurs. Not totally, but he's well, pushing what it. What did he say? He said, don't, don't, don't test me, chief. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, just, why are you telling that to that guy? Well, he, this, this guy's going to like would destroy Ben Foster, I would imagine. And that's the frustrating thing. Instead of just taking his money and quietly drifting off, he's pushing chief... To an ass beating. And here's the thing that's even more frustrating about Tanner. Yeah. He's probably pushed a few people to that beating before and I'm sure has received a couple mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem to move his needle. He still stays in that same kind of jerk field. Like, let's go to the gas station. Oh, God. That's not really his fault, though. Like, those two idiots roll up on him and he's waiting for brother to bring him a Dr. Pepper and a Slim Jim. <laughs> Winston Salem's or Salem Lights or whatever. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, just waiting. And this neon. Mustang rolls up with two kids who got a whole lot of, you know, vinegar college, in college there. kids, right? Yeah, yeah, with a whole lot of shit to say. They end up getting their ass kicked. But even like when he's doing nothing, yeah. he's still stoking the flames of animosity with everyone around him. Yeah. Toxic. Mm -hmm. Everywhere he goes, toxic. Yeah. Chris Pine beats the hell out of that kid. I know. Slams his face in the door, dents his car, kicks him in the face, and the other guy just, he had it coming. I'm glad you did it. Leave me alone. It's so and then they drive away. Yeah. And what does Tanner tell him? Only assholes drink Mr. Pibb. Why didn't you give me Dr. Oh Pepper? My God. Yeah. He's upset about what he brought him. <laughs> so let's give Taylor Sheridan a salute on that to you, Taylor, because that's a really well-written character. I think he understands all these characters. Uh, I'll play this scene. This is loaded. Uh, see if you, where do you want to go with this? What y'all done? You burning this field? Why in the shit would we do that? This kicked Taylor up on Sheridan. the highway. Been chasing us ever since. Wish we could do something for you. Ought to just let it turn me to ashes, put me out of my misery. Cut that fence! 21st century, I'm racing a fire of the river with a herd of cattle. And I wonder why my kids won't do this shit for a living. Those words are loaded. Uh, you want to know why the West has died? Uh, traditional Western values, farming and ranching in the United States. And it's because it's fucking hard work. Yeah. And all these ranches and... <laughs> Properties have been passed on uh, through family ties. Uh, and this is what they're doing. We go to our nine to five jobs daily. These guys are, are putting cattle through through this brush fire. I don't know. I, maybe it would be better if it just burned me up and it could just put me out of my misery. Like, what? And then mm -hmm. no wonder my kids don't want to do this. Well, shit, yeah, like, no one wants to do that. That's... Drive they, cattle through fire? Yeah, no way. No way. Or graze fields and, and farm and, and, and have livestock and crops? Like, that sounds 
That's just not my thing. I know that that's a certain person's thing. It is not my thing. But I think it's loaded on why it's died out. It's just because they don't want to do it anymore. That's hard work. Those people work 365 on the weekends, wake up at 5 in the morning, go to bed at 10 o'clock, get disabilities throughout their whole life because of arthritis and the craziest injuries because of how hard the work is. To make it even harder, if there wasn't flames involved and it was just the daily cost Mm -hmm. of farming and ranching and how hard that is and wearing your body out and the sun, let's add one more to it. I'm not sure we know why that fire is going, but if that's that's an oil refinery fire, Mm. that's also even more loaded because (laughs) that's another element that's industry getting in the way of you trying to make a livelihood, which is intended to feed people. Yeah. And if it's not industry and it's just some freak occurrence with nature, oh yeah, let's add that to this as well. If nature's kind to you and it's not raining or 6,000 degrees hotter than the surface of the sun when you're trying to drive cattle, if that's not enough, Mm -hmm. occasionally she's going to throw you a curveball and things are going to burn or you're going to have a drought. Mm -hmm. Brutal. Brutal. And you maybe make enough to break even maybe just, just to do it again the next year yeah exactly rough uh rough. I, I noticed that and that's taylor sheridan the writer is the mm-hmm. guy on the horse export horse rider there yeah uh i was like if last week the drive-in theater with the sounds of cowboys and indians in a dilapidated drive-in uh space was the death of the west mm. this is the death of the west in this film too yeah no one wants to do it anymore my kids don't want to do it i don't want to do it i want it to kill me is it a sacrificial pyre that we're watching it happen upon sure, why not yeah well, let's go with that that's pretty good mm-hmm. uh so yeah the casino laundering great scene this is where we get a little bit more info on what the plan is how much you make it on this deal not near as much as i'm risking why are you doing it then You know, they loaned the least they could, just enough to keep your mama poor on a guaranteed return. Thought they could swipe her land for $25,000. That's just so arrogant, it makes my teeth hurt. To see you boys pay those bastards back with their own money? Well, if that ain't Texan, I don't know what is. So this is really great. They're trying to stop the mom's property from being foreclosed on by Texas Midlands Bank. Uh, this, what, $25,000, $30,000 loan uh, that's on her property? Unwilling to pay back because she was dying of cancer probably. <laughs> so these guys, the plan was let's rob the these banks that are foreclosing on the property. It's part of a like a local uh, chain. And we're going to rob just enough to buy back the, the property from foreclosure because what's really underneath is this oil well. Where's Daniel Plainview, Matt? Mm. Uh, that's where the wheel wealth, wealth is. And if we get just a little extra to put up some refineries here on the property, then my family's set, right? Yeah. But not Pine. I mean, that seems it's his kids. So good. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, It's just, and then the way he says it, you're going to, to pay them back on the loan from the money you stole back from them. If I don't know how what if that's Texas, then I don't know what is. Right. So good. Uh, what do you think of that plan? I mean, it's not rob all the money in the city to get rich and live like kings. $30,000 ain't nothing. 
there's another bit of sound. I don't know if you have it, but it's the explanation on ridding yourself of the disease of poverty. And Toby has a pretty lengthy monologue to Tanner about my family's always been poor and I don't want to rob them into rich. Maybe because he knows that if it just is attained without any labor, then you tend to spend it. And you'll find that even in real life. The people that come into instant wealth usually piss it away. Oh, the lottery winners? Yeah. It's a crazy story of tragedy and how bad those people's lives end up ultimately. Well, what about uh, the NFL draft is this week? Yeah, yeah. All those NFL bankruptcies. Yeah, they just spend it on shit. Yep. Financial advisors, people. (laughs) Right. And you don't need 25 people as a crew or posse taking you around everywhere. Oh, God, entourage. Yep. Yep. So in this, if we can get out of... Interesting that this is pre or post-seated, preceded by the Taylor Sheridan fire on the highway as we're driving the cattle. If we can get out of the hard ranching way of life and get into something where we just put these pumps in there and they just sit there and pump and we use industry, then we work not harder, but smarter at a much more lucrative endeavor. Yeah. And then we have something that we can sustain because robbing a bank is a quick means, but not a permanent means. But poverty is also a permanent means for his family. So, man, are we posing this, Jesse? Is Chris Pine, although very, very understated and introspective in this movie, you've already kind of posed it, smart? Yeah. Do we dare go there? I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, Ben Foster says later, this was all your plan and the plans worked all the way up to this point. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah. It's a pretty good plan. They're terrible at it at times, mm-hmm. especially here in the the latter half. It goes tits up really quickly. I think it's a pretty good plan. Yeah. The way they're laundering it, the way they're going through the bank and getting the bank to pay the, the they're the lien mm-hmm. holder. Oh, it's just so good. You know, I had to watch it. This is why I watched it a couple of times too, because I'm, you know, I know the financial terms and everything. I'm still trying to figure out what escrow even really means, but, uh, once you kind of dig through all of that and kind of figure out what the what the game plan is, absolutely, it's mm-hmm. a smart plan. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah. On the flip side of that, uh, our two Texas Rangers are hot on their tail, right? Trying to find them, trying to get ahead of them. So they've picked out this corner bank, and they think they're hitting all these small towns. Maybe they'll come through here. Let's let's hold up shop and and wait for them. And there's like. Three sequences in here that just speak volumes about not only their relationship, but just how far not ahead of the curve they are. Like, even Jeff Bridges, I think, is a little Ethan Edwards. Not only in his bigoted nature, but in his going out to pasture, this is his last song and dance type thing. There's a lot of retirement jokes thrown his way. Yeah, Uh, We alluded to it earlier. This is maybe one of the best scenes of the film. Howdy, ma'am. How you doing today? Hot. And I don't mean the good kinds. So what don't you want? Pardon? What don't you want? Oh, well, uh, I think I just... Uh... You know, I've been working here for 44 years. Ain't nobody ever ordered nothing but T-bone steak and a baked potato. Except this one asshole from New York tried to order trout back in 1987. We don't sell no goddamn trout. T-bone steaks. So either you don't want the corn on the cob or you don't want the green beans. So what don't you want? I don't want green beans. 
I don't want green beans either. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked that just a little? That no question. All right. Iced tea for you boys. Iced tea be great. Iced tea, yeah, thank you, ma'am. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Nobody's gonna rob this son of a bitch. <laughs> right crazy this woman just comes in hot and she's just like you're getting a t-bone it's gonna be cooked medium rare and you're getting one of two sides you have no variety here this woman's old school Mm -hmm. this woman is the old west and any amount of change or anything in this i would love to eat in this restaurant too by the way i love little places like this yeah uh she's a woman at a time too right i mean this is not how society operates and it throws them for a loop. These two guys, mm-hmm. uh, what do, what do you think of that? I love it. It's hilarious. Yeah. She's as weathered as mm. the saddlebags on the first Cowboys that ever rode through that place at the, you know, post civil war. Um, hardened is a kind way to put this woman's tone with her, with her guests. I've worked here 44 years. Are you kidding me? Waiting tables for 44 days is a nightmare, much less 44 years. Have I ever told this story before? No. I did it one time. I was a busboy for a Kentucky Derby uh, casino thing. Mm. Uh, My cousin was like the head chef, so he was like, yeah, you can make like $500 in like tips in the Kentucky Derby. I was like, that sounds amazing. I think I was in high school. I did it. It was the hardest I've ever worked in my entire life. Really? One day, and I was like... Did you make 500 bucks? No, I mean, I got screwed at the end of the day. I think I made, I think, the minimum, like, wage payment, and then a few other tips, 80 bucks. Oh, bullshit. Dude, I was on my feet from, like, 7 to, like, 10 o'clock at night, because there was, like, fights in the evening, too. Oh, man. Brutal. Brutal. So you say 44 days. I say one day. 44 years? No way. Yeah, she's had it, hasn't she? yeah. Look, at it. We're not, we don't serve fish. We're not serving a hamburger. It's a steak and a baked potato and a corn on the cob or green beans. What's it going to be? Oh. It's a movie for you know, that has a pretty dry run in it. That's some needed levity and handled equally well. Because I love it when the characters mm. appreciate the levity of the moment as well. Sure. And his line, nobody's going to rob this son bitch, is so perfect. Lady, can I get a filet mignon with a garlic butter glaze on top? No, she's slapping me across the face. Can I say something, though? Yeah. I think I'd rather have that T-bone than that steak. If you gave me the steak you just mentioned at yeah. Ruth's Chris or the T-bone at you know Saddlebags Incorporated, I'm going there at the oh, T-bone. I like That's my favorite kind of steak anyway. Oh, I love T-bone. Yeah, Ruth's Chris is garbage. I'll just say that right now. Like, I, I want the mom and pop shop. This is probably a great meal. Yeah. That steak's coming off of like a griddle that like hasn't been cleaned in years yeah. with the crust. And that's going to be a good piece of meat. If you're going to give me a T-bone or a ribeye versus the Ruth's Chris filet mignon with the garlic butter, man, it's not even close. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so mm. we go from that moment. Uh, the, what happened prior, I thought it was an interesting scene too, is where this is pr- before this one where they're in the hotel room and he's watching Joel Osteen or Billy Graham on the television. Yeah. And Jeff Bridges just wants to watch football. Now this is the Lord's sport. This is what God's doing. Or what does he say? The line is God don't, he's that guy don't know anything about something in your dog's peckers. <laughs> 
I think the, I love that line. You wouldn't know God if it crawled up your pant leg and bit your pecker. Yes, yes. <laughs> or the Lord if it crawled up your pant leg and bit your pecker. So good. Yeah, so funny. And but it just, but for this 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 guy, uh, Gil Bingham, Native American, part of the land, and you know everything that 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 involves. Also in Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Do you watch Yellowstone? I haven't. No. Oh my gosh. Okay. No. It's it's on my list of many shows to watch. I'm trying to wrap up Ozark. I'm trying to wrap up Moon Knight. <laughs> so much in the fold right now. Right? I don't mean to distract you because you were going to something, but so I apologize, but I'm going to do it here too, do brother. It. I I wish we had the Patreon still going right now because mm-hmm. I would absolutely murder Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. That show's fucking terrible. I don't even think I'm going to finish it. It took a turn for you. After the third one, I kind of looked at the wife and we kind of raised an eyebrow and we got about 15 minutes through number four. And I said, this show is so stupid. I'm, I'm done. Do you like the character? Or is it no. just the direction of the show? Look, all right, here's the deal. Okay. <laughs> Moon Knight looks really cool. And there's a reason that that character has never found a footing in the Marvel universe because he sucks. Yeah. I thought they could do with him maybe what they did with Ant-Man because that character also sucks in the Marvel universe, just not quite as bad. I'm talking comics. Sure. The truth is... He's never in the suit. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's doing per- dueling personalities and only one of them mostly matters, and that guide that's with him, um, yeah, Conchu, dude, that show sucks. Well, I'll tell you this: I've had sucks. I've had to watch the episodes a couple times Ugh. because they're. I like I don't understand them when they're over, and I'm like, what's going on here? So yeah, no, I. <laughs> Are you going to finish it? Oh. Dude, I'm a sadist. Is there one more left? I always finish everything. Is there one more left? Is it six, right? Yeah, there's six. There's one more left. So we just did five this week? Yeah. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. you were. I took you way off. No, 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 you didn't. Uh, and I think that just... Uh, I think this is part of his ritual. I mean, I think he's in tune with God. He's in tune with the land. He's in tune with his people. And here you, he's partnered up with this guy that wants to get belligerently drunk, mm. watch football, throw a snide remark to him any which way, uh, whether it's a Mexican remark or an Indian remark. And this guy just takes it. And when he like kind of like turns over in the bed and he's like, yeah, we'll all be really glad when you retire. I mean, I feel like he's pretty hurt by it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he's really bothered by this relationship um, as well as they might work together. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there is some animosity here. But then he has this great exchange uh, uh, here in this sequence. 150 years ago, all this was my ancestors' land. Everything you could see, everything you saw yesterday, to the grandparents of these folks took it. And now it's been taken from them. Except it ain't no army doing it. It's those sons of bitches right there. Pointing to the bank. Ah. That's loaded. That's just Texas Midlands Bank, right? So, if the Native Americans, if the army and Custer and all those people came and just pillaged all this land away from the people that were already there, yeah, and has now given it to these people, and these people have let it go to complete shit. We're in one of these towns where it's just awful. Mm-hmm. It's fallen apart. There's no industry. There's no finance. There's who could live here, mm-hmm. and now it's all being foreclosed on by the real enemy, the bank, right? Yep, Texas Midlands. Yep. It's huge. I did. I, I love that. It, that's so smart. I love it too. And it almost aligns him with Chris Pine and Ben Foster, Toby and Tanner. Mm-hmm. If Bonnie and Clyde were these pop icons that basically were a middle finger 
to the law, the laws mm-hmm. during their heyday. This is akin to that insofar as I know these guys are robbing banks, but a we're kind of working for the man that's supporting the entity that basically screwed over my people. And the more I think about it, you're part of that. Cause you keep calling me all of these different racial yeah. things. And I'm tired of kind of going along with it. You almost wonder mm-hmm. if he's ready to say, let's let these dudes get away with this sure. one. But Jeff Bridges ain't okay with that, right? He's yeah. not, yeah. but now we're starting to say, like, who's the antagonist in this film? Because you might start to argue now that Jeff Bridges sure. is the antagonist I'm okay in with this saying film. That. I think he is the bad guy in this film. Yeah. He's a likable bad guy, and I think he's trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, law and order. But mostly he isn't, because you know why he's, I think his singular driven focus in catching them and whatever, fall asleep on the park bench as we stake out this bank that Mm. they never rob. Dear God, yeah. Is hubris. Yep. Trying to prove something, right? It's really on display at the very end when he and Tanner have their... their, that's a great scene. They're draw at high noon. Quickest draw in the West at high noon. So good. Uh, I like it. I like the bank as this like pseudo enemy mm-hmm. post 2008 financial crisis where the bank is the enemy. I'll just tell you, I fucking hate banks too. Yeah. I hate them. They're hard. They suck. Yeah. I, it, oh, it's just, it's, it's a good enemy to have, especially around this time. And if you're trying to modernize the Western where the financial institution, the financial institutions are, just as corrupt and oh. trying to screw over the man as oh. much as law and order or government. Eh, they're kind of part of government too. <clears throat> I'm on board. I mean, this is how you modernize the West, right? Yeah. Housed in the safety of words like escrow, they've created their own Alamo. Mm-hmm. That means nothing to anybody except PMI insurance on a mortgage oh, for God. a risk that you've given. Yeah. Fuck you. That's yeah. part of the idea of giving a loan. It's called risk reward, and that's why there's an interest rate. Like yeah. we could go on and on about the the bullshit banking system. Yeah, there's a lot of rackets in uh, today's industry. But the way you nickel and dime me at an ATM for using it that's not affiliated with your bank. We could go on and on <laughs> yeah. and on and on. Yeah. And these poor guys, especially mm-hmm. Alberto, yeah, having to champion the cause of righteousness and law to protect the bank who is foreclosing on a woman on her deathbed because she can't make the payments on a reverse mortgage, which talk about a bullshit principle also to begin with. Yeah, that's gross too. They're foreclosing on her. They're got someone living paycheck to paycheck with the the waitress in the restaurant. It's a good enemy. I'm just saying it right now. This is like, I love how this is all just tying together and the plan is like, well, we're going to screw the bank with the bank's own money. And I think it's what helps make the Tanner character a little bit more palatable. We've hammered him pretty good in this as being so off putting. Mm -hmm. I think Chris Pine is a little too good to quite get over the edge. His, his edges are a little too rounded to take down a financial institution for the audience's viewing pleasure in a way that's like, yeah, I hope you really stick it to him. And I think the Ben Foster abrasiveness. Yeah highlights that a little bit and makes the stick it to you a little more profound. Mm -hmm. They work together really well. Oh, I think so too. Their final heist here is a bit of a mess though. They go to one branch. It's all locked up, right? I mean, ghost ghost town. Mm -hmm. So they have to pivot. They, they are going to go to this other town and you know, bridges kind of figures out that they might be hitting here instead of this one. But this one just is a complete mess. I mean, it's, 
completely crowded. There's a ton of people there. They get what they need, I guess. But then the the moniker of, man, everyone's packing in Texas. This guy tries to play hero. Man, I'm just telling you right now, if I'm ever in a scenario where someone's robbing something, dude, take take my car, take this. Dude, I'm not about to pull a gun out on you because, no. A, I might end up in prison alongside you. Right. B, they'll probably shoot me to death, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what happens. You know, Tanner just shoots this guy in the head. Yeah. Trying to play hero. Yeah. I don't think it's a good... Uh, it's just it, logistically, realistically, unless you're law enforcement or fire department, like, it's playing heroes. Like, that's a dangerous game. And this is the inevitable piece with any bank heist movie. Eventually, the big yeah. plan is going to go south and it's going to come down. Are you quicker at thinking on your feet and problem solving than the forces that are in place to keep this from happening. That is the safeguards at the bank to keep robbery jobs from happening. And it revolves around codes and time and the cop that's there. Like it happens all of the time from dog day afternoon to um, baby driver heat. What's what's the Spike Lee one with Clive Owen? Oh God, inside man. I I like that movie though. I do too. I just don't like Clive. (laughs) I know. I know. It goes one after the other. Yep. So we're, here we are, the inevitable moment, and what happens is Tanner has to do the unthinkable, and that's the guy that's still a little bit pure, has to cap this other dude, and he blasts him, that cop, three or four times right in the chest. And then Toby, yeah. am, I back in those, am I backwards no, 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 with those? No. Toby's Ben Foster. Yeah. Toby smokes that no, dude. Tanner doesn't kill the, the security guard. It's Ben Foster, both, them of, both. of them. Yep. He smokes that guy right in the head. Yep. Kind just, of okay with it. You know what I mean? So I think his pre-crime had to have been some sort of murder, grand larceny, something. In this melee, though, big moment happens, right? Mm-hmm. Chris Pine gets shot. Yeah. I like how they get away, too. I mean, they leave the bank. The posse of Texans are all packing, too, start shooting them up. I like how they get in the car, and one of them just gets in to push the pedal, and then the other one gets in the back. So let's just see if we can, like, get enough away and then, like, get readjusted as we make like hell down the road. Last stand. Mm-hmm. What's annoying is those passerbys in the street that think it's their cause to take up justice and fo- how annoying. I know. <laughs> but they they, they, they kind of get- citizens arrest assholes. I'm glad you get what you get later in the film. They get a little bit of, they're just, because Ben Foster just shows up in the middle of the road like the Joker and just like machine gun is just like, yeah. and they take off. Mm-hmm. They're like, it's not our fight anymore, right? Right. And then we have this really nice exchange between uh, Toby and Tanner. Where are you headed? Don't be stupid. I love you, Toby. Man. Love you too. Mito, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) This is the type of relationship they have. But for them to say they love each other, like huge, huge, huge for each of them. And they both kind of know that this is maybe not going to end well for either of them. Ben Foster's total last stand. He purges up on like a rock here on the, on some sort of hillside, sniping all the people coming for him. He realizes that this is this is it for him. 
uh, Jeff Bridges gets one of these posse guys to drive him up around so he can flank him from the backside and crack shot Jeff Bridges takes him down with one shot. His celebration after that, so it's pretty weird, no, isn't no, it? Well, I forgot to mention uh, his partner gets killed. Mm-hmm. That's kind of sad, too. And that's the moment. It's just, you know, the writing and the acting so good up to this point. And all this animosity that you realize is just friendly ribbing. Mm-hmm. Like you would rib a buddy or a coworker or something. That mm-hmm. when it gets real, that it's pretty hard, right? Yeah. Uh, and him getting shot is like a realization of like, well, shit, now I need to really take him out. Mm-hmm. The guy had a family. He was a good guy. And talk about his celebration. I mean, it's crying to, or it's laughter to crying, right? Yeah. It's the one moment where if my hubris, hubris argument is going to have some flaws, it's here. Uh, he cares about his partner enough to... Well, it make, that, that's the human side of him then, right? A little bit. Yeah. And so... Okay, well done. We don't want this guy just to be a robot, a hubris robot. But it goes away pretty quickly because, like you said, he gets the posse guy to drive him around the flank. And, yeah, an amazing shot from 500 yards. Boom, Ben Foster. Toby gets hit right in the head. Done. And then there's almost like this little touchdown in the end zone dance that he gives. It's a little old, so it's not quite that nimble as some of those guys. But... Is he glad that the guy's dead? Is he glad that he stopped the bank robber? Or is he glad that he's extracted his revenge? A, all of the above. Or D, all of the above. Is there one that's more prevalent in your mind than the rest? One that's a little bit more on the celebratory side than the other two? Well, I think it's the when he goes to the crying moment is his partner. is the I think the friendship, I think that has hit home now. As hard as he was on him, I think he really did care about that guy. That's just good writing, and that's just good acting, by, especially by Bridges, yeah. who I feel we've sung the accolades of Foster and Pine. Jeff Bridges is really fucking good in this movie, too. If we, yeah, he is. Yeah. If we're going to play out the dying of the West and then the, the phoenix rising mm. from the ashes of the civilized West back to the savage West, you might argue that him being able to shoot Toby from that distance is hanging on to some level of relevance in a dying entity. And that's also pretty common, whether it's the wild bunch and the boys burning the bugs mm-hmm. watching, or whether it's the Gatling gun bit at the end of the wild bunch, or whether it's that ridiculous monologue at the end of no country for old men to just rehash the entire film that you watched that you couldn't quite get together. That Tommy Lee Jones gives it one of your favorite moments, the talking heads at the dining table scene. I know you love those. I do like that movie. though. I know. So. <laughs> Is this him maintaining as a retired man some relevance in the position that's left him behind because he's too old? I think so. I think it's an ageism thing. Yeah. I think it's a revenge for my dead partner. Yeah. I think it's to prove that I'm smarter than these bank robbers. And I think it's enough for him to go out on, right? Because he comes back and he's retired after that. Okay, so yes, I agree with all that. Living a sad life, right? But then it flips, doesn't it? Because... I hope you have the sound, maybe you do, maybe you don't, of the conversation he has with Chris Pine at the end of the movie. I have it for the end uh, lead-out clip at the end of the episode. So, because so, he kind of admits later, how did you get away with this and I couldn't quite see through it and where do you go next <clears throat> when he goes and visits Chris Pine? Mm-hmm. 
And that's almost an admission of defeat a little bit too. That scene, I've always taken that as he kind of got the best of you. Didn't let's he? talk about that scene. Let's just get, let's get to it. So okay. post uh, laundering at the casino again, we have enough money to screw the bank to get the land to set up our oil refineries mm-hmm. and set my kids up for a better future than whatever we had. Bridges retires. Uh, always had suspicions about Chris Pine being the second guy. Never quite got him, but he was exonerated because, A, the oil refinery brings in more on the monthly than they ever robbed in their their entire go. Yeah. So at all, he goes to the ranch to meet him and talk with him and confront him and probably to kill him. <laughs> Maybe. It feels like it. Yeah, very confrontational. But Chris Pine's already, like, shotgun equipped. I got to tell you, I don't know what, what you would call I, I love that, you know, these episodes bring out a lot about what we like in movies and scenes. Like, I, I've already mentioned several times that I like warehouse action bits, mm-hmm. uh, like like steel mills and stuff like RoboCop. I like this. I don't know what you would call this. The final act four, if you will. Characters meeting up to confront oneself about film's plot. Uh do you remember Ed the Born uh, Supremacy has one of these really great scenes? Uh, Quantum of Solace has one. That's not a good movie. That's a bad example. But do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Where like antagonists and protagonists meet up to kind of like hash it out one more time. And there's tension there. They just sit and kind of talk. And they sit on this porch here. De Niro and Pacino in Heat. Although yeah, there it's you go. like in the middle of the second act. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that. Yeah. 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 Like it's just like one final like, let me see if I can catch them sleeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even kind of wrote one of those scenes too in our, our John Slaughter film. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? That I was do. kind of that 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 scene. So yeah. I don't know what you'd call that, but it's an act. It's it's kind of like Act Four, right? The film's over, and this is like let's tidy this up just a little bit more. It's almost a eulogy to the mm. conflict. Mm. That's not what it's called, but that's sort of what the purpose serves, like to give it one final. Yeah. Compression with the CPR paddles before you let it expire entirely. But oh my God, is it tense? Yeah. It's like, who's going to p- draw first? Chris Pine offers him a beer, so it's very hospitable. It's very, you're in my place, I'll I'll take care of you. But man, Bridges knows this is the guy, right? I love that he asks him if he can sit first as well. Mm-hmm. Mind if I sit? There's that that mm-hmm. chivalry that is still going through these guys. You know what I love in film? This is, I'll answer your question in a minute. Yeah. I love that moment in film when good guy and bad guy, whether it's Michael Corleone and, um, um, oh, Connie's husband, uh, Carlo. Yeah. When there's that moment that you get one last drink from A to B, and it has to be involved with liquor, get Carlo a drink. Here's a beer. It's a moment that breaks the tension. And most of the time, they don't even wait for them to even finish the drink. It's like a drink, literally one singular drink of the drink. Mm -hmm. I love that passing of, I'm going to give this to you. I know that there is an issue between us, but here's this this glass, this this drink of bourbon. And it's going to provide a moment, a break of tension, brief, and then we're back to it. I love that. I can't say this. I hope you admit to it here, but like this is kind of that moment in Glorious Bastards too, where right before their Nazi brouhaha, or they're like in the basement, where Fassbender's like, "Well, there's a special rung in hell of reserved for people who waste good scotch." Yeah. So let's have this drink. 
and then we're just going to kill each other, right? Yep. Right? It's just like that moment of recollection. Yeah. You're right. Over a drink, a beer, and it's Shiner Buck again. Because <laughs> it just seems so out of place. Yeah. It's, that shouldn't happen, but these people have enough humanity or chivalry or civilization in them to at least share this one moment. Can I ask to sit down on your patio? Mm -hmm. Yes, and if that means I'm going to let you, that also means I have to provide you with something to drink. But I'm going to watch you drink it as I'm holding the shotgun here, and it's still on, buddy. So what stops them from murdering is his wife and kids showing up, right? Civilization. We find out that this uh, Chris Pine hasn't... uh, This isn't his place. No, it's his wife's. He's giving it to the kids, his wife, and I'm just here renovating stuff. Doing maintenance. Yeah. So I think that gives Jeff Jeff Bridges a bit of pause. We're like, yeah, maybe you're not as terrible as I thought. You're not milking, you know, your winnings and your your stealings and stuff. But when they leave, and this is the clip that'll lead out the episode, I have a place in the city. If you want to come finish this conversation, we can. Maybe I can give you peace, and then you're maybe I'll just give you a little bit of peace too. Are these guys gonna kill each other? Yeah, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And is that enough solace for the two of them to hopefully survive? Or maybe that's what they both want. Maybe yeah. they both want to die. I don't know. Or maybe it's just a little bit more mano a mano, who's alpha and who's not between the two of them. My money's on Chris Pine. Yeah, but yeah, youth versus age. Yeah. It's an interesting moment, and it, it it made me pause this time through this viewing. God, do I possibly want Hell or High Water 2? And the answer, I think, might be yes. Really? There's a lot of tension that's unresolved from these. I don't want a remake of this movie or a continuation. Like, those same two characters. Yeah. After each other, just in a different way. I think there's enough left in the gray where I'm just like, I know where this is going, and... Not good. Yeah, and it's not going to be good, but I, I like how it ends. It's ambiguous. I think I just like the tension enough. I think mm. that there's still enough tension that's interesting. Like There's sure. still more story there if you want it. Absolutely. And I'm sure Taylor Sheridan could find it. Yeah. He probably, maybe he's written it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but that's, go ahead. I had a question for you, speaking of, of all the things that we should have talked about at the beginning. Did you find it funny that one of the producers in this movie was CBS Films? Mm, mm-hmm. I did too. It made me remember that they started for a little while playing in that space and they went had some stuff that went straight to TV. Yeah, I know they did something with Ben Affleck, but boy, as much as that got going, it died out quick. Do you remember the last time you saw CBS Films on something? I remember one film they made was, uh, dear God, I never watched this movie, but uh, it was Harrison Ford and Brendan Fraser extraordinary measures. Oh yeah. And it has that great Harrison Ford clip where he's like, you'll be a better night if you work around the clock. And Harrison Ford's like, I already work around the clock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> CBS films, man. Like that, what a weird label. And what a weird producer is Sidney Kimmel. Do you think CBS films could have some sort of longevity uh, with Paramount plus or Paramount? Yeah, that's what it's called, right? Well, that's where I was going is it makes me wonder if that's sort of what launched this idea. Sure. This movie did not kill it. Did you do the ROI on it? Yeah, 36 million gross, eight-ish million budget. Yeah. It's kind of movie that doesn't get made again. Mm -hmm. It's not enough return for the investment. That's that. We've talked about that gray area. Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting producer. The Paramount Plus streaming service, I think, is really interesting because uh, you have ties to the CBS television lineup. And that includes stuff like Star Trek and Paramount has like Mission Impossible, G.I. Joe, Transformers. The IPs that Paramount has 
that's owned by CBS Viacom, like all those things, is pretty interesting. Like it's a weird conglomerate of properties uh, that they own and have some rights to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the film the film wraps up there. It ends, and uh, Chris Stapleton plays us out to our uh, cars as we leave the theater. So. Not parachute this time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, yeah, this is, it was nominated for best picture screenplay and supporting actor for Jeff Bridges. It didn't, it didn't win anything, but it did have some accolades there towards the end of the year. But uh, we'll wrap this up. What was your favorite tasting note of Hell or High Water? I think it might be that. I talk about speeches in film that I like a lot, and I always bring up The Hustler. I always bring up um, a couple other ones. But I think it's not quite to that level. But that conversation that Toby has about poverty and how it's a disease is so well-crafted. Taylor Sheraton really showcasing his craft in that moment. Good choice. Yours. Uh, It might be that moment with Gil there on the stoop, Mm kind of realizing this is pretty stupid. What we're doing is waiting outside this bank for them to maybe show up. But then the way he lays it out is... Yeah, they took this land, they gave it to these people, but these people lost it, and they lost it because of that. And, that's, we're here, and now we're here protecting that. Yeah, we're watching over that. And that's Oof. the that's the enemy. It's loaded. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's kind of been my moniker, especially with, like, the Batman, which is just a lot of standing and talking and sitting around. These moments, though, if they can bring forth these, like, heavy ideas, can be really good. Mm-hmm. This is really well-done dialogue. So sitting and talking, this doesn't bother me as much as it usually does. But what's the moment of hell or high water? It's got to be when Alberto gets shot. Mm. There's no way they kill that character, but they just did. Shocking. I think I'm going to go with the moment between him and the Comanche. Mm -hmm. Just because that it was an avoidable situation, but done the Ben Foster way, it has to be taken to an 11. Mm-hmm. And yeah, confrontational. If I'm one of those patrons at the poker table too, I'm like, man, this is too awkward for me right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be here. Go take it outside, guys. Who's the master distiller on Hell or High Water? Taylor Sheridan. There's a lot of capable players here. Uh, I'm sure you'll probably get one of them, but I think Taylor Sheridan from a spec script that was four years, five years in development to a really solid concept that I think launched him into a different space yeah. uh, in Hollywood. This is an important movie for me right now and just entertainment purposes because I like his stuff. If this doesn't, movie doesn't happen, maybe I don't get that. So it's selfish. Yeah, probably not. Well, I think Sicario had happened the year prior, so this is that, this, and then uh, Wind River. But yeah, I think this further solidified his space that he's really good in. I think one hit gets you two, but if you can go one hit followed by another hit, then you move out of... Yeah, one hit, nomination, another hit. Now you're kind of like... in a, Established. Yeah, and people kind of know you for something. And then being able to take that to television, which is a whole other space, yeah, further solidifies your reputation. I'm going to go with Jeff Bridges. Yeah. I, when I watched, I was like, this is a pretty good Jeff Bridges performance. I mean, you can tell he's rather weathered as an actor... Uh, but the character too, and his mannerisms and his drawl, the way he talks, it's so Texan, and I I love it. I mean, I mean, he's he made me realize how much I really like his movies, and if this was one of his last swan songs, of great performances is a good one to go out on. Yeah, 
How are you going to rate and grade Hell or High Water? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. Where are you going for this one? Single Barrel. Pretty independently done spec script. There's a, a note of originality in this, tackling a genre that was a non-starter for a lot of um, years. I mean, there's occasional Western here and there, but it's not something that's bankable. Solid performances. I think my favorite performance is by Chris Pine, although it's capable, very capably uh, met with performances by all of the other three players in this. There's some humor in it. It's very tense. Uh, the characters I care about. This is a really well-crafted film. This isn't a movie. Yeah. This is a film. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty high praise, so I'm going to give it single barrel. Good choice. Thanks. I'm also going single barrel. Yeah, I need to know how it ages to see if I can ever move it into the upper top shelf, which I very well might one day. But great rewatch. Uh, you know, we did Ocean's Eleven and even something like Dog Day Afternoon where the heist, or even uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, where the heist is very complicated and there's a lot of moving pieces. I really appreciated that this heist is fairly simple. It's fairly simple, but large in its intentions. Mm-hmm. Uh well-written, well-acted. This is, yeah, this is a great watch. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix right now. Add it to your list. Uh, hour and 40 minutes. I, I need more hour and 40-minute movies like this, people. Yeah. Less two-and-a-half-hour movies. But, yeah, single barrel. I think it's unique. Uh, further solidifies Taylor Sheridan, but great acting all around. I mean, um, yeah, this isn't a bad time watching a film. Agreed. Excellent. Well, let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Excellent. Not my type of music at all. I'll just say that right now. <laughs> Not mine either, but you should look. There's a couple things by Chris Stapleton I bet you'd like. There is a few few things I like, but uh, prog rock Jesse, man. I know. It's good in me, man. Pretty far from that. Sure. Uh, go ahead and hit us with a nightcap this week. thought about brothers on film, and I thought what would be a fun nightcap question would be pick another brother duo from film and place them in a heist scenario. It can be any, let's bank. So we're going to rob a bank. Okay. You get any brother duo in film that you want, and let's make a movie. Now, do you want brother? I maybe misunderstood the question a little bit because I did brother acting duo versus brothers on film. Oh, that's great. I did brothers on film, but if you did brother acting duo, that's great okay, too. Okay, let me go with that one. One of each. Because sure. I could probably give you the dad too, who's probably putting it all together. Oh, now I'm in very intrigued. Okay, so uh, the heist film, the the the, the what I want to see these two brothers do, I'm going to go with Alexander and Bill Skarsgård. So good. And you got Pop Stell and Skarsgård leading the, leading the charge. Ooh. I got to tell you, I mean... I, I think I, even on this podcast, I think I said Alexander Skarsgård was kind of a shit actor. And it's that Tarzan movie, man, was garbage. Yeah. And the Northmen changed all that for me. They did, that guy's got some acting chops. Mm. Uh, and we know Bill Skarsgård brings it with Pennywise. And he's just a weird dude. Uh, and Stellan Skarsgård's been around for so many years. Very solid. Uh, it'd be kind of interesting to see a familial, you know, heist film with actual the family elements in place. Sign me up. Any consideration to resurrecting River and pairing him with Joaquin and seeing that? Uh, no. 
How do you feel about either or both of them? River and Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, what do you like? We haven't talked about them much. Are you a Joaquin Phoenix guy? Well, you know, we did our Joker, and I did like him in, in that movie. Uh, but, you know, I, I do like River Phoenix. Uh, man, that Viper room, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Uh, I think he had, he had some some legs going there before his untimely passing. Uh, yeah, it would have been interesting if they would have ever done something together. Yeah. It's like almost like River had all the momentum, and then... Until Gladiator, then it became Joaquin's show, right? Yeah. What about the Dillons? I think about them. The other one that kind of I, I thought maybe comedically was like the Wilson brothers. Yeah, that'd be good. Owen and Luke. Yeah. So I didn't do Kin. You did on screen. I did Kin okay. on screen. Okay. And I came up with two. Okay. Uh, one's a little bit more comedic and one I think could be pretty cerebral. If you can get past how sort of meme worthy one of them has been. Okay, so let's do the cerebral one. I think Charlie and Ray Babbitt, Rain Man, the Rain Man duo, mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise could be really good in a heist film. And it kind of happens a little bit the way they sort of rig the casino. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I think there's some play there. Good choice. The other one that I really want to see more than that is Seth and Richie Gecko. Mm. That's from Dust Till Dawn. Nice. Tarantino and Clooney. Gosh, those guys. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, isn't that, aren't they in a heist in that film too? Isn't there a... Th- there, there is a robbery element and then it becomes a kidnapping. Right. And then it becomes a vampire. <laughs> so maybe that's what I want. Maybe I want the prequel from Dust Till Dawn, which never happens. And I actually want to see them pull off the heist. Oh, gosh. Because right there on a getaway from a bank robbery. That would be, uh, you know, again, we're never starved for content on this show, but that'd be a fun movie to talk about too. Dust Till Dawn? I'll never forget, you know... Be. You know, Selma Hayek's got her feet in Tarantino's mouth, and yeah. the show ends, and I'll never forget Clooney going, that's a great fucking show! Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone starts eating everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a fun film. Tom Savini has a gun penis? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Fred Williamson? Yeah. Oh, and Harvey, Harvey Keitel? This is a good movie. Juliette Lewis? Good, good cast, yeah. That's B-movie gold. B-movie gold. Written by Tarantino. Yep. In the middle of Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and all that. Good choice. The Gecko Brothers. Yeah. Thanks. Would you ever want to see the Vega? Because, you know, the long lost Tarantino project he never did was the Vega Bros. What With uh, Michael Madsen and Travolta. Yeah. That'd probably be a heist-esque film, right? I absolutely want to see that yeah. film. Please, before you retire at 10, do a love it and give us that movie. Give us that. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Good choices. Thank I, you. I like how we went different with it. I went real life actors that I want to see for jokes purposes. Maybe give me Clint Howard and Ron Howard and let's just see how strange that would be. Oh yeah. Lack of hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> great choice. This has been a lot me of fun too. doing this Western cast. We'll, we'll come up with a kind of, we could do it the same way again with like the classic, the samurai, the postmodern interpretation, and then the modern interpretation have four different conversations on kind of the same subject would be a lot of fun. Yeah. But the time has now come. May is upon us. The summer movie season is officially underway and we're kind of caught up now. I mean, I think the last remaining delayed remnant of COVID was Top Gun Maverick and that's coming out at the end of May. So I think we're I think we're there. I think we're like the release dates are now in place. Nothing's moving around other than like Warner brothers having to shift shit around because they're kind of in a, in a whole state of mess right now, but when are they not? Yeah. But 
we're caught up and I think that's a that's a fun interesting prospect but we've been alluding to this for months now it seems like Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness is next week's episode uh how excited are you can't wait oh, I'm I'm pumped yeah I'm pumped I the linchpin of whatever this new phase is right here this is according to Feige what do you say nine to ten lead-ins that maybe two bigger plans for Marvel something huge he had a big number like that well here the thing the other thing they did <clears throat> this week was cinemacon and I mm-hmm. told you about that they weren't showing any strange footage because so many secrets uh in this thing but Feige came to the thing did his little spiel and then he was back to uh a creative summit that he's currently having with a bunch of writers and development team to plot out the next 10 years of the Marvel cinematic universe. Wow. So I want to know who those writers are. That's what I want to know too. Uh, And who's the players who's in play. And and you know, they're talking about the mutants and the fantastic four. Like there's some big things in the works here, but I have the nightcap question for next week already planned out. I'm going to give it to you right now because we've done this before and maybe we'll put a bottle for the stakes. Okay. I want you to give me your top five grossing films for the summer. Oh, okay. May through the end of August. Okay. And we'll come back in September and see who got the most right, and maybe the loser has to get a bottle. Okay. I'm just going to tell you this right now, and I'll give us both a mulligan. I think this is the biggest movie of the summer, right out the gate. I don't disagree. With a bullet. Like, this thing's going to be huge. Yeah. Especially if it's good. Yeah. Because uh, there's no reviews yet, but if it's good and entertaining, like Spider-Man, No Way Home, this thing's going to blow the doors out the box off. going to kill, isn't yeah, it? it is. I agree. So I'm excited. Uh, so until then, cheers to you. Cheers to you. I got to get going. I got to go bury some stuff in the backyard. Uh, it's probably just uh, dog shit, but it, at least it's not a car. At least we're not trying to cover up a heist. If you're going to bury that car, then we got to, like in honor of Billy Madison, crank the Billy Squire on the radio as we bury it in a pit of sand. <laughs> nice. Dude, I've heard you sing Billy Squire before. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Hell or High Water is property of Lionsgate, CBS Films, Sydney Kimmel Entertainment, Odd Lot Entertainment, Film 44, and LBI Entertainment. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Ready to be done with this. You'll never be done with it, no matter what. It's going to haunt you, son, for the rest of your days. But you won't be alone. It's going to haunt me, too. If you stop by, maybe I'll give you peace. Uh, Maybe. Maybe I'll give it to you.